Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series dedicated to helping all of us talk more openly about money. Each show features a special guest who will share with you one of their favorite money myths. Then together we'll discuss how to bust that myth wide open. My name is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury and I am your host. My company is KVK Wealth Connection and it's committed to helping women, couples, families, and their financial teams shatter money taboos and learn how to effectively talk about money. It's an honor today to be joined by Steve Worshing. Let me tell you a little bit about Steve and what he's going to provide for us today. Think about it. Do you find it uncomfortable to ask your clients for referrals? Isn't there a more comfortable way of talking about referrals with clients? And how do I get clients talking more about me? Our speaker today will help you answer these and many other questions as he takes you through this revolutionary, that's a hard word for me, Steve, revolutionary approach to referral marketing. His book, Stop Asking for Referrals, was published in 2012 by McGraw-Hill and has been called the best marketing book in the financial planning industry. He's a top-rated speaker, acclaimed coach, and a pretty, well, pretty good West Coast swing dancer, helping us get more referrals than we ever have had before without asking please welcome author coach and at six feet two inches the shortest guy in the family steve worshing i love that intro steve welcome to the show thank you so much kathleen thanks for having me on here and what do you mean uh west coast have you ever seen me dance (laughs) i'm pretty good i didn't mean to have it be a negative (laughs) but yes if that came out wrong i apologize it's a rule of podcasting you shouldn't insult your guest right before you invite them on (laughs) just be ready because next time i see you and there are blues playing man you're coming Uh well i'm not a great dancer so this should be quite interesting um so today we're going to talk about money myths and you came up with i think one that is awesome both in the financial services industry as well as uh for anybody who uh typically is running their own business and the myth that you provided is charging higher fees makes it harder to get clients so tell me a little bit about why you were motivated to pick that myth in the first place well you know it's something that i've been I, that i've been working on with my clients now for a while and it and it continues to be a challenge you know we have in in the financial services business we have a model that i think is really threatened and it's you know the the assets under management model which is you know we charge a percentage of assets but uh, i don't know how long that's actually going to last and that the challenge that we have is that advisors are really scared of breaking out of that and they're scared about actually charging directly like a client has to write a check for something because they're afraid that they're all going to go away but that's going to be more and more the reality in the, in the future and so we have to you know dispel that myth and we have to help them get over it because you know taking inspiration from Wayne Gretzky you know somebody asked him you know well, why are you so good why are you such a winning hockey player and 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 he said well cuz i'm always going to where the puck is going to be and that's where the puck is going to be in a few years if we think about uh the millennials coming of age and all of the changes that they bring in and um well i'll i'll tell you, you know we're, we're, i'll give you an example one one advisor that i was work, working with um you know they they work with doctors and they've been having difficulty getting new doctors in the door to be clients and so we we tried to break it down and and one of the truths is that most doctors who are already successful and have lots and lots of money saved from their from their success already have advisors and and 
they kind of knew it and their advisory board told them in no uncertain terms that they have a really valuable service and they need to get docs when they're young. When they're just establishing their careers, that's when they need a lot of advice. They need a lot of guidance and that's when that's how you should you know that's that's when you should get them and and at that point they're fairly easy to get because they don't have much money but their their objection was well they don't have much money okay but they're the people that are going to have the money and so maybe you need to figure out how to charge a fee for all this advice and all this planning work that you're doing and catching all these henrys as they're calling them the the high what is it? Uh, high earning, not yet rich, or not oh, rich yet? Oh, I haven't heard that either. Yeah, high earning, not yet, not rich yet. Um, so, if you want to catch these Henrys, you're good. I mean, the only practical way is to charge them a fee, and and you know what? They're okay with that. So, and we have more and more evidence. So that's that's an extremely long-winded way of answering that question. Well, and it, it is interesting because I think outside of the financial services industry, it's also something that does raise an issue for people when you get to a certain place in your business where it makes sense to charge higher fees. Um, and often you hear, then all my clients will go away. So it's a very similar kind of fear or myth. Now, right. is there any way in which this particular myth actually helps? Like usually myths help. And so is there any short-term benefit or benefit to believing that charging higher fees makes it harder to get clients? Um, well, it, it, benefits, it, it benefits people to the extent that uh, it keeps competition out. So if, you know, if this is a really widespread myth, then, and you recognize that it's a myth and it's not true, and you're out there and, and raising your fees, then you get to, you know, potentially get to succeed where a lot of other people don't. Or, like in the case of the advisor I was talking about, it positions him to get these docs when they're young so that when they become more successful, older, wealthier, they will already be locked into a relationship. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's the, the real payoff of, of having the myth is keeping your competition at bay until you can establish the relationships you want. Now, when you're talking with advisors, especially with everything that's going on in the field, and for those who aren't in the financial services field, there's been a lot of regulation and talk about um, how uh, advisors need to be more transparent about their fees, and anyone will admit, and we won't spend a lot of time on it today, but uh, figuring out how your advisor gets paid sometimes is really confusing as a client. Um, so thinking about all those things, Steve, how does this myth get in the way for those advisors who need to really start to embrace that maybe they need to be more transparent with their clients or even just, um, I would argue, and this is my own personal bias, just charge a fee like a plumber charges a fee or a coach charges right. a fee and, and make it kind of clear cut. Um, it, you know, uh, SEI, for all of your non-financial listeners, SEI is a major money management firm. Um, SEI did a survey with Phoenix Marketing last year, and, and they found that something like, and I, I don't have the statistic right in front of me, but it's something like in the mid-30s percent of millennial clients especially did not know how their advisor was paid. Um, and... If it and right and right now, I would imagine that creates some angst among you know some some of those clients. I think when the market goes down precipitously, it will create a lot more angst. But you know, if if you if you want to have an open, transparent relationship, 
um, then it's really important for your clients to understand what they're paying. And so charging a fee, having a check write out a check, having a client write out a check for, for whatever they're paying you is, is the most straightforward, transparent way of doing that. And so, you know, from the client's point of view, so for all of you who are not advisors, but with any luck clients of advisors, um, if you're not writing a check out to your advisor, give a few minutes thought to how exactly am I paying my advisor? A lot of people are paying a lot more than they think. And that's important for you to know because anything that you're paying is a drag on your portfolio. So, um, you want it to be as clear as possible so that, you know, and I'm not saying you should object to it, but I'm saying that if you don't know what it is, you don't know whether to object to it or not. Well, yeah. there's a lot of people. I mean, I know um, at one point, this is several years ago, my father said to me, well, I don't really pay for financial advice. And I, <laughs> and I said to him, yeah. well, Dad, and he's a pretty financially astute guy. I was like, yeah. well, Dad, you actually do. So you may want to ask what you pay. And for me, um, what I did recently, and I do it annually with my advisor, uh, is I ask him to uh, send me, you know, what were my fees last year? So I can take a look at how much have I paid? Do I want to keep paying? And am I getting the service that I want for that particular fee? And it just, it helps me. And if anybody gives you pushback on that, then that's, you know, that is a sign that maybe it's yeah. not the best person to work with if they uh, exactly. have trouble with that. Um, but, but back to the myth, because I, I really want to explore this a little bit, because I know, like, often we believe that if we charge higher fees, that clients are going to run. But I'm of the belief that there's a perception that happens when your fees go up. People perceive different things about you, um, whether they're true or not. Uh, it may make you look more confident. Hopefully, you are more competent, but it may make you look more competent. And if you're too cheap, that can be a problem as well. Do you run into that? That perception? Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, talk yep. about that a bit. Sure. Well, you know, you 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 covered both sides of it really well. You know, on on the one hand, you know, and for for better or worse. Um, the perception in our culture is price equals value, and we, you know, if you if you think about it a little bit, you'll, you know, I, I think all of us would would recognize that's not universally true, but that's still the default assumption. And so, if you're charging too little, you don't have credibility. Um, the other issue that you have is if you're charging too little, you can't give your client white glove treatment because you can't afford to. So that's on the one side. On 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 the other side, um, it, it enables you to, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it limits the, the tire kickers. It limits the people who are not serious about it. Uh, and, and will, you know, the, the, so the, anybody who's willing to pay a pretty big ticket for advice or for help is probably going to follow through on that. And, and uh, you know, when, when, a hundred years ago, when I when the earth was hot and flat, and I was new in the financial services <laughs> business, I, one of the reasons I left the commission environment and went into the fee environment was because I was dispensing a lot of advice, and I was giving it away in the hopes of making a sale. And I was giving good advice, and I really wanted to get paid for that, even if the people decided ultimately not to do it. And and a, a very interesting thing happened. Um, very few people balked, and I recognized looking back at it that the people who did balk at the price were the people who were going to give me a hard time on other things later, because uh, you can sort of, you know, tease out the signs of that. So, so 
bringing in clients was not a problem. And what I found was that my implementation rate went up. And it makes some intuitive sense after I reflected on it for a little while because I realized, look, if somebody was willing to pay me four figures to do a financial plan, it would be kind of silly for them not to follow the advice. Right. There's, there's, uh, there's that psychological kind of having skin in the game makes a, makes a big difference in terms of people's ability to follow through or to, exactly. be, to work with you. And, and I know, and I, I can speak more from the, the mindset of being kind of an entrepreneur, no longer a new entrepreneur, but I know at the beginning... I had to do a lot of work around um, asking for fees, feeling confident with the fee, and realizing just what you're saying, that often what ends up happening is the type of client that maybe fits for someone else or a different organization um, that you're so afraid of losing is actually the type of client you shouldn't be working with anyway. Um, and even in the therapy world, when I was a therapist, you know, it was the difference between somebody who... Uh, paid self-pay versus somebody who their insurance paid 100% and how much they were motivated in their treatment, there was often, not always, but often a parallel. And so I really think that all of us, especially uh, those who are in business and in financial services and small business, need to kind of work at busting this myth wide open. So what advice would you give listeners on how they can take steps to uh, reframe this uh, thought and and just run a healthier uh, business or practice. Well, I think one of the things, one of the benefits of facing the possibility of charging a fee, um, <clears throat> a fee for service, not just a fee for asset management where something is automatically deducted, but really, you know, sending a client a bill. One of the things is that uh, it sort of forces you to um, to think about: um, Is what I'm doing really worth this? And so I think it can help focus you on the client experience that you're delivering and the value of what you're doing is delivering. And so what I would suggest is uh, think about the people that you would most like to get. And, and, and it may not necessarily be the client who is ideal today, but thinking back about Gretzky, it's the, the who is going to become your ideal client and how do you land them before they get a relationship with another person in your same industry and what do they need and what kind of experience are, are, you, are they looking for so design the experience design the benefits that you're going to deliver to folks and then figure out what that's worth to them as a way of, of, of sort of working your way into being able to charge a fee for that so that you know you, first you can make sure that you're delivering something that's worth what they're paying for and the second thing is you can articulate it better because once you've dissected it and deconstructed it and looked at each piece individually you'll be in a much better position if, so, if you know when somebody says well geez that sounds kind of expensive what do i get for that you're able to articulate much better and enumerate each of the different things that you do and how it delivers value to them so that, that, that's what I would suggest in terms of how to start working your way into it. Well, and it sounds like if I was to, and correct me if I'm off base here, but if we were to like reframe the myth, it's kind of like charging higher fees allows you to provide the services uh, you would like to provide for your ideal client. Exactly. There, there's, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, but you're right. And, and the... Um, one one of the one of the interesting questions that I've I've we've processed on on a couple of advisory board I, I do a lot of client advisory boards for financial advisors, and one of the questions we've been tossing around at some of these board meetings is what's the best client service experience you ever had, 
And what we're hoping to do is to hear examples and hear things that people value that the advisors hadn't thought about yet, that they could incorporate into their own experience. But I'll take one meeting in particular as an example, and we went through it and we listed the companies and we listed what the experience was and we took it all apart. It's like, why, did, why was this the best service experience you could think of? And something really interesting sort of bubbled up out of that. And, and the, um, <clears throat> the, the, the most interesting aspect of it was that none of these were inexpensive services. These were all high-ticket things. And so that was proof to me that just because it's expensive doesn't mean people are going to object to it. And in fact, you can create an enormous amount of value if you have the assets to work with. There was, there was one, one client, in fact, who said, you know, I, I, you know, my wife had scheduled us to go to this affair. Turns out it was a black tie event. I didn't know that until like the morning of, and I opened my closet, and, you know, as luck would have it, my son had taken my tux to college with him. So it was not gettable that day. So I call up the tailor where I, you know, buy all, all these suits and where I do these things, and, and it was a name that everybody in the community recognized. And he said, look, the, I, I, I need your help on something. You know, I, I need a tux. I need it by 5 o'clock, you know, and this and that and the other thing. And their response was, no problem. When can you come in? And the interesting thing was the comment that he made after that. He said, sure, you're going to pay $5,000 for it, but you don't care. Right. Because <laughs> they're solving a problem in the moment. And and you're getting a great suit, right? So it's like you know, so you know the um, so like I said, the interesting thing to me was that the what people chose as their best memory of a client service experience was invariably a really expensive service, and that there's a there are a few messages buried in there that that would be really interesting to take apart and examine. Can you say a little bit more, like what you see in there? Well, like I said, what I see is that people value the experience and they value what they get more than they value the dollars. Mm -hmm. So not everything has to be rock bottom price. Well, I also think it ties in with your values too. Like I, I think about like the amount of money that I will actually spend on skiing compared to the amount of money I would spend gardening are dramatically different. And if anybody knows me, <laughs> yeah, skiing right. is going to be a much higher expense, although I do have to pay a fair amount of people to do my gardening because <laughs> I don't like sure. it. Um, but it, it really is interesting. I think the other thing is for people out there that are listening, um, I think it's great advice if you have a financial advisor to understand how they're being paid. I think for a financial advisor to do that exercise that you're talking about is so invaluable. What do I actually provide? What is What are the benefits? What's the value and being able to get to a fee that makes sense. I love the idea of the future client. I also think for the entrepreneur that's sitting out there is, um, you know, what's the highest fee you can tolerate asking? Ask for it a few times and see, because it's really one of the stats I used to share when I did a lot more individual work was the idea that you need to at least have 20% of people pushing back on your fee to indicate that you're probably at the right price point. If everybody's right. saying yes, you're leaving money on the table. Um, yeah. And you don't want to overcharge, but you certainly want to charge the value that you provide. Um, so this is really interesting. And as usual, time just flies by on Breaking Money Silence. So tell me um, and the audience, Steve, where people can find out more about your work uh, and how they can uh, follow up with you. Well, um, <clears throat> Stop Asking for Referrals is available at you know, all online bookstores, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, all, you know, all those places. But if you want to find me, you can go to theclientdrivenpractice.com. 
Um, or you can find me at uh, Stephen Wershing on LinkedIn, and you can find me at, at S. Wershing on Twitter. Awesome. Well, I love what you're up to. We've connected a long time ago around both being a published authors at McGraw-Hill, and um, I know you're doing some really interesting, great work. So thank you for coming in and, and playing a little bit and talking about this money myth. Always fun to talk with you, Kathleen. Thanks very much. And thank you to everybody out there who's listening to Breaking Money Silence. Uh, once again, I'm Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and author dedicated to getting people talking about money matters. I'm excited to tell you that I'm in the process of writing my next book, which is on the topic of breaking money silence. Uh, and so you want to stay in touch and find out more information about the books I already have or speaking in services or what's coming up. Uh, please visit my website at kbkwealthconnection.com. And remember that if together we all do our part in breaking money silence, eventually we can end the taboo against talking about money. Thanks for listening.